Sława everyone, uh, Sława Bogom and welcome in yet another episode of Searching for the Slavic Soul, uh, in which we'll be continuing the Rodnoveri 101 series and uh, we'll be talking about uh, the celebrations in modern native faith. Uh, last time we talked about the basic four celebrations based on the, which were based on the solar cycle. Uh, it was really nice to hear that I did not <laughs> bore you with it and that some of you actually found it useful. Um, these messages, the feedback from you is super, super important for us and for me. And it really makes it all worth it. So um, keep them coming if you want, of course, if you don't, you don't have to. <laughs> obviously, because, you know, it's a free country and uh, hopefully it will stay this way. Uh, today I want to talk about uh, yearly celebrations that are not related that much to the solar cycle, but are still um, a part of this calendar of holidays in Slavic native faith. Uh, the celebrations I will be talking uh, about are not all the holidays celebrated by the modern Rodnovers, but they are, I think, the most established ones. I mean, my choice is a bit arbitrary here, and uh, whether I like it or not, um, I do. I am a little bit biased by my strong bonds to Western Sla Slavic paganism, but uh, well, I am going to do my best to include elements from other Slavic traditions to make it um, as useful to all um, our listeners, listeners as possible. So yeah, if any of this sounds interesting, keep listening. <laughs> So, um, a part of the four main celebrations, the celebrations of two solstices and two equinoxes, uh, Slavic native faith has many other like regular yearly celebrations that follow the natural cycle of the seasons and the changes in nature. Um, these holidays are not consistent throughout all the Slavic traditions. Um, as consistent as the main four ones are, but there's still enough consistency to be able to talk about it in the context of Slavic tradition uh, without having to <laughs> split the hair into four, or in this case, into three. Uh, so in the West, East and uh, South Slavic tradition. Uh, the celebrations I want to the celebration I want to start with today is a celebration that is um, particularly close to my heart because it is one that's been literally brought back to life by a group of Polish Rodnovers who did an absolutely amazing, really mind-blowing job reconstruction of this um, celebration. Uh, the celebration is called Stado, which in modern Polish means a herd, like a herd of cattle or horses. Uh, we don't actually know whether the original celebration of Stado was called that or if it was called something else. And there is an ongoing debate with regards to that. Uh, some historians um, 
think that Jan Długosz, the chronicle who recorded the name of this celebration in the year 1450-something, that he borrowed the name of the celebration from German language, and something that uh, Długosz, the chronicle, um, that he recorded the name accurately, so with no borrowings. Uh, I have to admit I'm not good enough in these sort of topics to be able to... <laughs> to have an opinion about it. So I'm just going to say the reconstructed celebration is called Stado because this is how its name was written by the 15th century chronicle. Uh, we don't exactly know what was the original meaning of this name, but given similarity to the modern Polish word Stado, it could mean the gathering of people, uh, because this is what a herd, so in Polish, stado is. It's a gathering of living beings like, you know, oxen, horses or people. Um, the way the stado celebration was reconstructed is pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, the people who were involved in reconstruction uh, they took proper multidisciplinary approach. They uh, looked into chronicles, which mention an important pagan celebration that took place in the spring. They, the chronicles also mentioned that during the cele this celebration, um, dancing with swords took place and, um, and that the names of, uh, we think, deities, uh, depending on the chronicles, the names were Lado, Yasa, Leli, Nia, or Tia, and all these names were mentioned. And then uh, the people who were re reconstructing this, um, this celebration, they looked into Slavic folklore, and they found a lot of um, these elements, these three elements. So the spring celebration, dancing with the swords, and, uh, you know, calling out uh, the names mentioned by the chronicles. Um, so the reconstructors, they found a lot of these elements uh, present um, in Slavic folklore, um, uh, including the most famous tradition, which is um, actually currently written on the UNESCO list of intangible cultural heritage which is the, uh, the spring procession uh, of Lielie Kralice, which takes place e every year in a village of Goriani in Croatia. And uh, after that, uh, the reconstructors, they looked at even more historical data, uh, both modern and medieval, uh, as well as anthropological data and actually connected, without a doubt, people in Croatia with uh, people um, who live in Małopolska, a uh, region in Poland. So they proved recent cultural connection between people in Poland and people in Croatia uh, in order to be able to say, uh, listen, there is a lot of similarities between folklore in Poland and folklore in Croatia. It could have developed independently, but we can prove that it has not. We can prove that these traditions have the same roots. And this is 
just so amazing. I don't even have words to describe it. This is this is really how a reconstruction of Slavic native faith should look. Uh, it should be based on historical facts, on solid evidence, on multidisciplinary research and just bloody science, which, uh, by the way, um, all this research, uh, the data on which the reconstruction was done, it's all published on the internet. Um, all the sources are docu and documents, they are there for everyone to see. So it can even be peer reviewed if anyone wants to kind of, uh, you know, look into it in a critical way. So there's nothing mysterious here, nothing is, uh, you know, because I think so, or because I don't know, uh, I took shrooms, had a vision, and this is what I saw. Uh, the people who reconstructed the Stado celebrations, they have enough scientific approach to actually say, listen, we don't know what's the meaning of this celebration. We can tell you how it looked. We can tell you when it took place. Uh, we can tell you the names of deities or gods that were called out. But as far as the meaning goes, we can only guess. Uh, and I just love this discipline of thinking, you know, the separating from what you know and from what you think or suspect. Uh, this is really how it should be done, people. Anyway, the Stado celebration is one of the celebrations that's outside of the solar cycle, but happens every year in the Western and Southern Slavic tradition. The Eastern Slavic tradition has a um, celebration that is called Rusalia, and ha which has some elements of the Stado celebration, uh, but not all elements. And it also seemed to have more to do with Rusauki, which are Slavic demons uh, that develop after the death of a uh, young unmarried girl. Uh, obviously, after this girl doesn't receive a proper burial. In both uh, Stado and Rusalia, there is focus on mostly unmarried girls, uh, but sometimes there are married women too. Uh, but what's super, super important here that men, like males, biological males, they can only take a supportive part in this celebration so they can play music or hold something or help to prepare, uh, like, for the celebrations, but the actual ritual elements like dancing and singing, uh, it's done by girls and women, uh, so biological females, uh, even if there is a character that it's male in the story, then a female will play this character. Uh, in Rusalia, the Eastern Slavic tradition, uh, the girls and women dance and sing to lead Rusauki around the fields, which um, which is believed to bring good luck and fertility. Uh, in Stado, the, in the Western and Southern tradition, the girls dance with swords, they sing and lead the actual gods around the household to bring good luck and fertility. Uh, Stado celebration is a spring celebration. It takes place between spring equinox and summer solstice. In modern tradition, it takes place in the time that is called by Christian Christians the Green Week, <laughs> which is the last week before Pentecost. 
but it's really not possible to say when exactly did it take place originally. Uh, because, as I explained in, the, in detail in the last episode, the Christianization, Christianization of the Slavs really messed up the preservation of uh, the Slavic pagan tradition, like of the timing of the events in Slavic pagan tradition. Uh, still, if you, if, you, if you want to celebrate it, you want to celebrate it roughly 50 days after the first full moon, after or on the spring equinox. So basically, look up when the spring equinox is, then look up when the first full moon uh, is like on or di directly after the spring equinox, and then add 50 days. Uh, if you don't feel like counting days, uh, look at Christian calendar and celebrate Stado or Rusalia around the Trinity Sunday. Um, as far as how to run the celebration, the one thing that you really need <laughs> is to have a few unmarried girls to dance and sing. I will link up a gallery gallery with pictures and videos from um, celebration of Stado in Poland, so you can see how it looks. Uh, if you are a solitary practitioner and don't know any females like biological females who are willing to learn to dance with swords and sing traditional songs. Um, I'd say forget about celebrating Stado or Rusalia. Uh, maybe if you are a biological female and you are determined enough, you, as a solitary practitioner, you can find a meadow near a river and you can leave some bread or other yummy food for Rusauki. Uh, but if you are a biological male, just forget about it. Uh, in the best case scenario, you will make an idiot out of yourself. And in the worst case scenario, you will actually manage to piss off Rusauki, and that will not be good for you. Um, another solar cycle-related recurring celebration in Slavic native faith is the day of Perun, which is known in Poland as Perunica or Perunowe. Uh, as far as historical accuracy of this celebration, I really cannot tell you much. It's definitely not something reconstructed um, in as solid and fact or source-based way as the Sastado celebration, mostly because the day of Perun was... I'm actually not sure if reconstructed is a good word here. Um, maybe suggested or proposed. Yeah, the, the day of Perun was proposed as a pagan celebration by Boris Rybakov, who was the head of archaeology in Soviet Russia. And uh, uh, Rybakov's research has two problems. One... Uh, is that it's really outdated research because it was done well before any of the modern techniques and an analysis of ancient DNA or RNA or even more advanced carbon dating techniques were developed. So interpretation of the artifacts found during archaeological excavation was kind of a guesswork. 
and it wasn't based on actual science, and that led to many overinterpretations. Um, the other problem with Rybakov's work is that it was done in Soviet Union. And I do appreciate that for some listeners of this podcast, uh, particularly for young people from English-speaking West, uh, for them, Soviet Union might be the ideal country, but believe me, it was not. There was many things wrong with uh, and within the Soviet Union. I don't think a month would be enough to talk about it in detail. Uh, still, bottom line is that in the Soviet Union, everything had to be in line with the leading communistic ideology, like everything, including archaeological findings, which means that there really wasn't a lot of freedom in research or in the interpretation of research, which is, by the way, why there were so many dissidents among Soviet scientists, uh, because scientists wanted to do the science, uh, not ideology. And they could not be doing it in the Soviet Union, so they kept escaping to the West. Uh, but clearly, Rybakov had no problem with <laughs> doing ideology, and that is one of the issues with his research. Uh, still, the day of Perun has been the day of Perun has been introduced to the modern Slavic paganism well before I was born, I think. So, um, regardless of whether it has any historical basis or not, it has become a part of the tradition, of the modern tradition, and it's celebrated as far as I know by all Rodnovers. Uh, the importance of this celebration, however, vary for some, mostly the crazy warrior type Rodnovers. <laughs> it's like the most important celebration of the year. Uh, <clears throat> for some, actually, for the majority, not crazy Rodnovers, is just a celebration like any other. Perunova takes place on, on or around the 20th of July, which, as far as I understand, is the, is the day of a Christian prophet Elijah, who, again, as far as I understand, um, has something to do with storms, and hence it was decided that um, I honestly don't know by who um, that Elijah simply has to be the Christianized version of Perun, from which another assumption was made, namely that the celebration of the day of the prophet Elijah has to be related to the original pagan celebration of the day of Perun. Even though, which for some reason no one seemed to mind, we don't even know if the original <laughs> pagan Slavs celebrated a day of Perun, uh, when they celebrated it, how and for what reason. Uh, to be perfectly honest, it's uh, not even certain that Perun was actually a Slavic god because he could easily be Slavicized version of the Norse god Thor. But that's beside the point because what we know pretty much for sure is that Perun was not a pan-Slavic god. 
because his existence only was only confirmed in Rush, uh, in like Kievan Rush, uh, yet modern Rodnovers all over the place celebrate the day of Perun and some truth to be told, mostly fake lore, worshipping pagans, not actual Rodnovers. They claim that Perun is the supreme god of the Slavs. Um, anyway, the day of Perun is celebrated on or around the 20th of July. It is seen as a male, like biological male focused celebration. Uh, the elements that are typical for the celebration of Perunica, so the day of Perun, are all sorts of games like sport-related games. So we have uh, wrestling, archery, throwing axes or javelins. Uh, we have running and stuff like that. Uh, generally speaking, is about showing masculine strength and skills. And uh, important part of Perunove is praying to Perun to stop any storms, because as you might or might not know, around the end of July, in the climate of Northern and Central Europe, where our ancestors lived, the end of July is when the harvest starts, um, and you really don't want to have any storms in this time, because it can seriously damage the, damage the harvest. Um, if you are a solitary female practitioner, Rodnoveri practitioner, my advice would be not to celebrate the day of Perun. Um, as with Stado and male practitioners of Slavic native faith, uh, best case scenario, you will make an idiot out of yourself. <laughs> Worst case scenario, you'll seriously piss off Perun and that is not good for anyone. Uh, if you are a solitary male practitioner at, say, go in the field, do some presentation of male strength, like throwing stuff or hitting stuff or something. Um, with regards to decorating the altar or preparing for the ritual, um, it is worth incorporating oak, like branches or leaves or acorns, because it's all traditionally related to the Slavic storm ruling god. Uh, in, I think, majority of modern Rodnoveri groups, a month after Perunove, so after the day of Perun, the day of Mokosz is celebrated. Uh, in Poland, it's called Mokoszowe, and it's uh, celebrated on or around the 15th of August, uh, on the very same day, day when Christians celebrate the Assumption of Holy Mary. Uh, the date of this holiday is absolutely not a coincidence. It's pretty much agreed among the scholars studying Slavic paganism that the cult related to Holy Mary um, was originally related to the cult of modern nature goddess. So the goddess that gives life, is life, um, you know, is the earth and kind of gives birth to harvest like a woman would give birth to her child. Obviously, Mokosh is considered to be such goddess. Um, 
If you look into the content of the internet, which is mostly fake lore, you would think that Mokos is like a pan-Slavic goddess, but, well, she is not. She's relatively well documented in the East Slavic tradition. At a push, you can find some indication that she could have been known to Western Slavs. But among the southern Slavs, as far as I know, she's just not there. There is some indication that the modern nature type goddess among southern Slavs was Perperuna. But I don't know the topic well enough to give you more information about it. And... If you've been listening to this podcast, you must probably already know that I'm generally not very much into calling Slavic gods by name or worshipping them too much. I personally think that the obsession with gods, it's a very Judeo-Christian thing. And uh, from what I am seeing, um, quite a lot of uh, self-identifying pagans, uh, not only Slavic pagans, but all pagans, modern pagans, they basically don't really change religion. They just change the names of worshipped gods. Uh, so in Christianity, you will have holy, the Holy Trinity and Holy Mary and some other important saints on top of it or like on the side. And all of them are worshipped with piety, a lot of submission and guilt like pretty much everything in life of a christian is restricted or limited or is just a straightforward sin and a lot of modern pagans they come from this guilt tripping submissive judeo-christian background they just exchange the holy trinity and the virgin mary with some names of some pagan gods taken from the internet and voila become pagans and that's not really the point is it uh in in my opinion and also in my practice uh focusing on worship of gods takes away from the core of the slavic tradition which is the way of uh, you know the slavic way of thinking reasoning and interacting with the world i do not prioritize worship of gods Actually, if I can, only can, I do not worship gods, I do not pray to gods, and the only time I have anything to do with Slavic gods is during the rituals where the Zerza is the one doing the praying, and I am only there to shout Swava. In the few rituals I perform myself, I've never really called out the names of the gods. I referred to the Slavic gods in a descriptive way. So the gods of my ancestors or the Slavic gods or the gods of the sky, etc. In my practice, I focus on acting in a way my ancestors acted on trying to reconstruct their ways. So, for example, I am hospitable. I focus on my family and my community. I aim to contribute to building a good, abundant, uh, wealthy and meaningful life for myself, for my family and my community. 
if something bad happens in my life, I don't blame it on God's will, uh, the government, I know, Putin's politic or, you know, this bad and mean them. I look at the bad things um, that happen to me as uh, a demon attack or demon infestation or evidence of my dollar being displeased. And um, I just try to deal with it as well as prevent it from happening in the future. With regards to Slavic gods, I just really don't think that enough has been preserved to have any meaningful and valid opinion. I mean, if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, you must have noticed that uh, pretty much every time I talk about the names of gods or domain of gods, Every time I get into the details, um, it's all, you know, it's believed or it's been reconstructed or it's been deducted, suspected, supposed. And it's all a one big question mark, really. Uh, but what it is not a question mark is the veneration of the ancestors that is super important in Slavic paganism. The most important celebration related to veneration of the ancestors in modern days, most commonly is called Jade, but it's really a Western Slavic term. In Eastern Slavic tradition, the name, the name Radonica is used, but it is, as far as I know, specific to the spring celebration of ancestral veneration. Uh, because, and we know it pretty much for sure, uh, the original Slavic pagans, the pre-Christian Slavic pagans, they celebrated their ancestors at least two times a year, and very likely even more often. Uh, nowadays, in most Rodnoveri communities, the ancestors are formally like, you know, in communal ritual. They celebrate it twice a year, with the biggest celebration in Western tradition being Jade uh, in November, and the biggest celebration in the Eastern tradition being Radonica, celebrated in the spring just after Christian Easter. Uh, as far as timing, it's a bit loose. Uh, Radonica is celebrated following the Christian calendar, but in other traditions, uh, most commonly I've seen the spring jade held at the beginning of May. Uh, the autumn jade are most often celebrated at the beginning of November. So when you would, in the West, uh, be celebrating Halloween, for example. But I have come across this celebration being held uh, the night after the first November new moon. So have your peak. Um, the veneration um, of the ancestors is all about remembering them uh, and feeding them. And if you're feeling brave, uh, trying to guide any spirits lost in the world of the living, uh, trying to lead them to Navia, so to the world of the dead. Uh, because we are feeding our ancestors, we have to have a feast. And during this feast, we have to have lots of fun, but we also have to share the food, the drinks and the fun with the ancestors. This sort of approach is very well preserved in the traditions of Ukraine, where the feast uh, for the ancestors are literally taking place in cemeteries uh, on the graves 
it's a very joyful event. So there is singing, dancing, eating, drinking, like really a proper party going on. Uh, drinks are poured on the graves. Uh, food is put aside for the ancestors too. Uh, the food tends to be of special kind. Uh, it's made from, from honey. Uh, from something that in Polish is called kasha, which is made of edible seeds that are stripped of the external shell. I think kasha is called groat in English, but that's a new English word for me, so I don't know how accurate it is. Part of honey and kasha, the food for the dead, is also made from nuts, dry fruits, eggs, and uh, as far as alcohol goes, it's obviously vodka or mead, uh, so which is an alcoholic drink made from honey. Uh, if you want to go super traditional for Ujjadi celebration, you can look up a recipe for something that is called kutia, which is K-U-T-I-A, and it's like the very thing that is still made in the context of veneration of the ancestors or the dead in general. Um, another thing that you might want to incorporate in your Jade celebration are masks, which we know for sure were a part of the pagan Slavic uh, veneration of the ancestors, but we do not know what they were used for. Uh, the group I am a member of tends to use the mask, which, um, by the way, are called uh, Karaboshki or Kraboshki. Uh, so my group uses, this ma uses these masks um, as a representation of the ancestors. So like, you know, like you would put a picture of your grandma. This is what we use the masks for. So these masks, they are not worn, but they are placed near the altar or the table where the feast is taking place and to act as a reminder that the ancestors are among us. I did talk quite a lot about uh, Karaboshka masks in the episode, I think, number 20, uh, mostly in the context of how misinterpreted these masks are. So if you're interested in that, you're most welcome to scroll down and listen to this episode. Uh, Oh, and I, I forgot um, to mention that whatever you do during the Jade celebration, um, you do not want to have any knives or other sharp objects around because they can cause hurt to the ancestors who arrive at the feast. So any kind of cutting or slicing, it should really be done well uh, before the feast. And if you just absolutely have no choice, um, uh, and you have to use something sharp during the feast, um, you kind of want to like warn the ancestors. Uh, perhaps you can like respectfully swipe your hand around the blade and the surface on which you'll be doing the cutting so you just don't hurt the ancestors, that the, you don't hurt them. Um, also another thing, if turning Jade, you want to show other spirits the way to Navia, you, you've got to do it by, well, you firstly, you have to start the holy fire because this is how the, um, the spirits are going to get to Navia. 
Then you want to lay out the food and perhaps even start the feast so the spirits can like get some food before departing to Navia. And after that, you want to take candles or the kind of more lanterns. They called in Polish, they called znicze. In English, I think they called like memorial grave candles or something like that. They're more like lanterns. You want to take these lights to a crossroad and you start, you just start calling the spirits like on these crossroads uh, and you kind of, you know, call to them so they follow you. And yeah, you kind of tell them that there is food and, you know, and you're going to help them find, find their way to Navia. When you're calling out to the spirits, you want to be respectful. You don't want to like scream at them or order them around. If you, if you are determined to wear your Karaboshka mask, that might be the time. So, you know, leading the spirits to Navia, um, especially on the crossroads, that might be the time to put the mask on. But it's just a guess. Um, it's just my opinion, if you will. Um, the last celebration I want to talk about today is the day of Veles. Um, in Polish, it's called Velesowe. This holiday is celebrated in February and the date is um, directly related to the day of St. Blaise, a Christian saint who is seen as the patron of cattle and because why not? <laughs> the diseases of the throat. Uh, because of the cattle attribute of science and blaze, not because of the throat, but because of the cattle. Of course, uh, Saint Blaise was interpreted as Christian version of Veles, and because this interpretation happened a while ago, I think like at the end of the 20th century, Nowadays, it just became a part of Rodnoveri tradition. Again, there's no way to say whether Veles was actually celebrated among the whole Slavdom because he is known as the part of the Vladimir Pantheon, so, you know, Kievan Rus, so that's the East Slavic tradition. The evidence of Veles in other part of uh, Slavdom, they are weak at best. But again, if you want to celebrate Velesova, it's not a mistake per se, mostly because absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So that's one. And two, uh, by now it's became a solid part of modern Rodnoveri tradition. And it really would be hard to argue with that. I mean, you know, I could argue with that, but what's the point? Um, I do argue a lot, but I argue mostly about things that completely make no sense, like Kupawa being the celebration for virgins or Zhercas, um so Slavic pagan priest, expecting the Rodnovers to <laughs> abandon their material possessions and become peace poor, or I argue a lot with like, I don't know, ancient Slavic gymnastic. Uh, 
because these things are just completely stupid and there is no place for them in modern Rodnoveri movement. But there isn't really that much stupid things in the celebration of Velesove, and hence I said I would not. I said that it would be hard to argue with it, uh, argue using factual arguments, not arguments of of like, oh, I don't like it sort. Uh, anyway, uh, as far as the elements of the ritual of Velesove, it's pretty much taken straight out of the rituals of Sand Blaze Day, uh, which... Uh, for me, it's quite funny because the sand blaze day in folklore, it's all about the cattle. So you have modern Rodnovers who, let's say it as it is, mostly live in the cities and have zero to do with cattle husbandry. But hey-ho, if praying for the well-being of cattle makes a city dweller happy, who am I to take it away from them? Uh, is the same story like with praying for the fertility of the land and then going home to eat organic strawberries from Spain. To me, it's a bit bigoted, but it's only my opinion, which I expressed in detail in the first three episodes of Searching for the Slavic Soul. So you're most welcome to listen to my rants <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, still, Velesove uh, is about praying for the health of cattle. Uh, the sacrifice typically is milk uh, and or butter, which at this stage will get no comments from me because I'll be repeating myself for the nth time. Uh, there is obviously a feast uh, during which the uh, no cattle meat is eaten, actually. Uh, and also... Quite often there are some like wrestling competition. If you uh, if you look at Slavic folklore, which is obviously heavily Christianized, uh, February is also a month where uh, something that is called Gromnice is celebrated. The most important part of Gromnice are like big ass candles, which are called Gromnice. Obviously, such candles were not known to um, uh, our early medieval Slavs. If they used any candles, they were much smaller because uh, wax from which the candles are made, it was super hard to get by and much more useful in other aspects of uh, our ancestors' lives, like, for example, in making fabric water-resistant. Still, it is possible that they used some sort of uh, fire, like torches, uh, for example, uh, to do some sort of religious ritual around the time Gromnice are celebrated currently. Um, in folklore, you can find Gromnice-related traditions. You, some of them are a little bit more pagan, so you will find that uh, Gromnice, so the big as candles, uh, they are used throughout year, the year to protect households against being hit by a lightning uh, or that children's hair are burned using these candles and that's supposed to protect the children from being scared of lightning or also sometimes from being scared of wolves. Because hair have a lot to do with Veles, uh, 
for those of you who don't know, the name Veles or Vos, uh, it's more likely derived from the Proto-Slavic root Vos, which means hair. So that's kind of the connection between Veles and hair. And, you know, also because of the closeness of Gromnice, which are celebrated on the 2nd of February and the day of St. Blaise, which depending on the tradition is celebrated um, like on either the 11th or the 21st of February. Some modern Rodnovers will clamp these two celebrations together and <laughs> you will burn candles during the celebration of the Day of Veles. I have to admit I'm quite doubtful about it because the whole thing doesn't really stand on solid research, but more on a very loose associations. Uh, on the other hand, however, I don't really have a solid arguments to disprove it. Maybe, you know, we can argue with the candles, but not with other kind of aspect of this fusion. Uh, so I don't know, it's possible that I don't have these arguments yet. So if I ever have any more thoughts on it, uh, I will definitely let you know. And that's uh, pretty much all I wanted to talk about today. I'm uh, quite pleased that I managed to stick to the topic and keep a reasonable length of this episode. Uh, as always, do let us know um, if you have any thoughts, uh, comments, questions or anything at all to say. You can contact us uh, pretty much through all the mainstream social media like Facebook, Instagram, and recently Twitter, which I really have to start updating, but I just keep forgetting, <laughs> mostly due to the annoying limitation on the characters, because as you most probably have noticed, I do like to talk a lot. Um, Vitya also has her own uh, website and email address, uh, so you can contact us through these two. And I will link all the contact details in the notes. And for now, take care. Do try to put some thoughts into your practice uh, to make it meaningful, as well as historically accurate and uh, suave.